Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn with me to Paul's letter to the church or the churches of Galatia, the book of Galatians, chapter 1. As we continue our study in this critically important book that uh, addresses the reality that there is only one gospel and there's no other gospel. It's saying the same thing, but repetition is a good teacher. We need to understand that as Paul writes to the churches of Galatia, he had an intimate relationship with them. They knew his story. He had spent time with them probably twice at this point in time in the writing. He had ministered to them in the gospel, the only gospel, the true gospel. He had wrestled with them through some of these troublemakers in the church who were trying to undo or add to that gospel that Paul clearly brought to churches of Galatia. But in the book of Galatians, he is in a sense writing a polemic letter dealing with a particular problem in that church. And somehow they had moved away from what they knew to be true What Paul told them was true, what Paul testified about that truth to another gospel. And the sole reason that he writes this text to these churches is to proclaim in a very terse way at times, there is no other gospel. And yet it appears there's lots of different versions in our culture today. So who's right? And why are they right? And how can we know the truth? Does saving faith require a trust in the righteousness of Christ alone? The key word, of course, is not the righteousness of Christ. All who claim the title Christian believe in that. But not all believe alone. And alone is critically important for the gospel. Otherwise, if it's not alone in Christ, it's another gospel that we've added to, that we've adjusted, and that we've changed. So let me ask you a question. Why is it that the church gathers on a weekly basis? Why is it that the church offers education opportunities in our children's ministry, our youth ministry, and our adult Bible fellowships to remind you time and time and time again of the gospel, to point your attention to the Savior, and to remind you as God's people that we gather in this place to give glory to God for the work that he's done in Jesus Christ, for he rescued us from our sin, he raised us to newness of life, and he's coming back for us. That is the gospel. If we don't come here regularly to hear that proclaimed, to turn our attention to the truth, to focus on Christ alone, we are at times vulnerable for these other gospels. Because we're people. We're sheep. And it's easy to lose our way in a cacophony of voices that says, well, maybe that's not the right gospel. Paul would have none of it. And thereby he writes 
this critically important letter. Now, that being said, if our ministry is based on that gospel and those truths and the word, and if indeed you are to be reminded of that on a regular basis, if indeed we gather to celebrate that on a regular basis, if indeed everything that we do ought to point to the goodness of God through Christ our Savior, you need to be engaged, you need to be involved, you need to, to hear this time and, and time again. Don't come to First Baptist thinking you're going to hear something new and fresh, but you will always hear something glorious. God did that for his glory and your good. So I'd encourage you, if you're not engaged in an adult Bible fellowship or perhaps your children aren't engaged in ministry, I encourage you to do that. Get engaged. We have a number of classes that will take place after this. We'll keep you for about 45 minutes and we'll go again and turn our attention to these truths. You say, well, I already heard it once, Pastor Jim. You hear it again, and then again. And then after that, a second and a third and a fourth time. And we will never tire of hearing this story. In fact, we will spend the rest of eternity singing, holy, 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 worthy is the lamb that was slain. It's all about the gospel, isn't it? So get involved and be a part of that. If your children and your teens aren't involved in other aspects of the ministry, I encourage you to go to the family ministry forum this morning. You'll hear about what we're trying to accomplish and, and what we're going to be doing and, and how we will instill this truth that sets men free in the lives of your children and your grandchildren and your children's children even. If you're involved in those ministries, you need to go to that family forum to, to find out where, where we're headed exactly in this year. But we will never do anything in this ministry without turning our attention to the Word. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word. It is the ultimate authority among us. All of those things are being challenged as Paul writes this epistle to the Galatian churches. May God bless us as we study it this morning. Pray with me, please. Father, I'd ask this morning that you'd encourage us, that you'd challenge us, that you'd teach us that you would connect the dots for us, that we would leave with a deeper appreciation and understanding of your grace and gospel, and that we would take that grace and gospel to a lost and dying world, but that we would focus upon that gospel for those who are here in the building today, in every ministry that we have, in our family ministries, both children and youth, our adult ministries as we teach the word and, and declare the truth as we, as we add to and build in, in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that, that we would be protected from getting the gospel wrong because we're constantly reminded that we will be drawn back to that gospel when our minds and, and our hearts at times are wandering and that we might know a truth that sets us free, that we might be free indeed. We're not talking about ministry. We're talking about eternal matters. We have to get this right. So teach us as we reflect upon Paul as he writes to the churches of Galatia who had an intimate knowledge of that gospel through the life and testimony of the Apostle Paul and yet still lost their way. May it never be so for us, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 
of chapter 1, Paul writes, Paul, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all of the brothers who were with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and forever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant or a slave of Christ. I would be shirking my calling. I would not be doing what God has called me to do. And what is it that Paul was called to do? He was called as an apostle as a voice, a herald, uh, an individual who would be the spokesperson on behalf of God to spread this good news. And Paul had been to these places, if not once, twice. They had heard the truth and had set them free. They had embraced that truth. And that truth is rooted in these first few verses where he says that the grace of God and the peace of God come only through the death, burial, and resurrection of God in Jesus Christ. And that is the basis of your salvation, a resurrected Christ. And when you stop to consider that glorious gospel, it resounds in worship to him whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 5. It is a simple gospel with profound implications and critical truths tied to it that have been addressed in the context of Christian history from the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2. For the gospel always has been under attack with an alternate or an imposter kind of system replacing it. So Paul in this passage of scripture is writing to people who know better. They've learned better. They've heard better. They've accepted better, and yet now they're moving away from that they know to be true. And Paul says in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I am stupefied. I am overwhelmed. It amazes me. It perplexes me. How quickly you've lost your way. I'm astonished. Paul is saying this out of a firsthand experience with these people. He was in their homes. He engaged in conversation. He taught and preached and ministered to these people. They knew Paul's story. Well, 
They knew God's story. Paul was just a character in the story. This is a story about the grace of God that reaches into a sinful world and rescues sinners solely on the work of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm astonished that you're moving away from that truth. What was Paul's story? I'm not going to take the time to take you there this morning, but if you read Acts chapter 9, Paul was persecuting the church. He was running down Christians. He was putting some of them even to death. And he was on his way to Damascus. And as he's traveling to Damascus, God found him. Now listen carefully. It's not that Paul was lost and God couldn't locate him. God's sovereign. He knew exactly where Paul was. But he found him and appeared to him and revealed himself to him on that road to Damascus. And there are some things that changed in Paul's life that very day. Do you notice who initiated that engagement? It wasn't Paul. He was not looking for God. God found Paul. He's go, told to, to go into the city and to wait. And God speaks to Ananias, a prophet. And he says, hey, you know this Paul that you're aware of, I want you to go meet him in the city of Damascus because he's a man appointed by me for gospel ministry. But Paul's reputation preceded him, and Ananias said, the Paul, that, that guy, the guy that has been given permission by the chief priest to go about and, and kill Christians, that's the guy you want me to go to and lay hands on? And God says, Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So when God speaks, you do what he says. So Ananias went to the street called Straight and met this apostle Paul. He lays hands on him. Paul's sight returns Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately changes take place in his life, not just physically, but even in his direction. For the Bible says in verse 19, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, but immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the Son of God. And everyone was amazed. What were they amazed by? This wasn't the same man. It's like he changed in an instant. No, it's not like that at all. That's exactly what happens when you come to know Christ the Savior. You see, the gospel isn't about just getting the facts right. The gospel isn't about just just feeling good about those facts. The gospel is about change. And if you truly know him, he changes. Now, for some of us, it's not immediate like it was for the Apostle Paul. It takes some years. But gradually, we change. And the gospel becomes more precious as we understand the depths and the amazing things that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. They knew this testimony. They knew this man. They knew what he had been through. They knew knew that Paul had tried a different way. If you want to flip over there quickly, 
in Philippians chapter 3. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi about the righteousness that comes by faith in Christ alone. And he says in verse 4, although I myself might have reason to be confident in the flesh, he's saying, I've trusted Jesus Christ. I have no confidence in, in what I do. It's only what he's done, although there's good reason that I could be confident in my flesh. Verse 4 again, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence, check this out. Now, he doesn't say that. That's, that's my paraphrase. You have nothing compared to me. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as of the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Everything that God has told me to do, I have done. I have kept the Old Testament law. But whatever I had gained through all of that, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Indeed, I count everything as nothing because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them as rubbish. I didn't do anything, even in all my achievements. It is Christ alone in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That is the message that they heard from Paul. That is the testimony that they heard from Paul. And did you notice that when Paul tells his testimony in Philippians chapter 3, probably reflective of the very things he told these people, his story, Paul's story, was not about him at all. The main character, the main hero in the story wasn't Paul. The main hero in the story was who? It was Christ. It was Christ. We need to live as Christ to die is gain. Why? Because I'll be in the presence of Christ. It was all about Christ. So that's why Paul says in Galatians, I'm astonished. After all you've heard and all we've shared and what you know about me, I'm astonished that you're deserting that gospel of Christ and making this about you. And of course, what they were making it about is this group of people who said, that you need Christ, but you also need to keep the Old Testament law, and you also need to be circumcised. They were adding to the gospel, and Paul says, you know my story. I told you that none of that matters. I, I, I came and preached to you because of what Christ did, not because of what I did. He is the hero of the story, and they embraced that, and he's astonished. Should we be astonished? Paul had a personal stake in this. He was astonished. It's not that the first time that God's people have astonished God's leaders. We go back into Exodus chapter 20, and Moses goes up into the mountain, and there's lightning and thunder and earthquakes and, and a cloud that settles on and a booming voice of God, and God gives instruction to Israel. And as we follow that narrative from chapter 20 and 21 and all the way through chapter 34, we read that 
that God writes on the tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments that, that sum up the law that was given to Israel through Moses uh, to the people from God himself. And in the middle of that story, having known all that they knew and seeing all that they had seen with the voice of God and the thunder and the lightning, Moses is up in the mountain. They hear the rumblings and they see the lightning and they say, we don't know if he's coming back. Aaron, why don't you build us a golden calf? You want to talk about astonishment? Moses comes off the mountain and is like, what is wrong with you people? They're people. And unless they're reminded of the truth over and over and over again, and grounded in the truth over and over and over again, their hearts and their minds are sure to wander. That's exactly what happened to God's people in the Old Testament. And Paul knew that well as a Pharisee, so he's saying, don't let that happen to God's people in the New Testament. What are you doing? I am astonished that you're transferring your loyalty, quickly deserting the truth that was delivered to you. He calls them to discernment. He calls them to diligently search out and separate what is true and what is not true, to discriminate between that which is right and almost right. It's not that these false teachers denied the death, burial, and resurrection. That wasn't the problem. They just added to it. So salvation wasn't in Christ alone. It was a little bit of God and a little bit of you. And if we sprinkle a little bit of you in, you're not a child of the king. Because you can do nothing, nothing, nothing to earn the favor of God. That's the message that he's bringing to these people. He's calling them to reflect upon what they've been taught. We know that to be the word of God that is powerful and living, active and sharper than any two-edged sword that helps us to know right from wrong and, and good and evil and, and right and almost right. So Paul says, I'm astonished because the gospel that you're turning to is another gospel. It's not the gospel that brought you forgiveness and grace and peace. Verse 7. You're turning to a different gospel, not that there is a, another gospel. There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. They're distorting it by saying that a Christian must have faith in Christ and be circumcised. To be truly born again, you must have Christ and keep all of the laws of the Old Testament. To be a Christian, you must have Christ and whatever you want to add there. And by the way, so often in our churches, we're so critical about churches like the churches in Galatia who got this wrong. But some of us were the very proponents of a fundamentalism that added a thousand things to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And after 40 years of ministry, my heart is saddened when I see some of those fundamentalists no longer even darkening the door of the church. You know why? Because they, they grasp a different gospel, not the gospel that sets you free. John says in epistles, they went out from us because they were never part of us. 
they were believing another gospel. They added to the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. Who are those who are troubling? Those who are saying and adding to the gospel, particularly circumcision, but other things as well. We don't have the time this morning, but we could flip over to Acts chapter 15. And in Acts chapter 15, it warns us that even in the early church, after the gospel had been delivered and God was gloriously working from Pentecost on, there were those who were already adding to the gospel in, in just a matter of years and changing that gospel. And that's what astonishes Paul. And they were adding circumcision to the gospel. So all of the church leaders got together in Jerusalem. We, we, we dub it sometimes the Jerusalem Council. And in that Jerusalem council, they begin to, to speak of or to, to wrestle with the, the truth of the gospel. What is really the gospel? What is this all about? And in all of their discussions, Peter speaks up. Probably at that point in time, in a transition between him and James for the leadership of the church in Jerusalem. And he bears witness to the reality that it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, and it is good news for the Jews because it gets them out of the weight of that law that they couldn't keep, and good news to the Gentiles because it introduces them to a God who they were separated from, and he reiterates all of that. Why was Peter so passionate about the purity of the gospel and not adding circumcision in the law? Again, you need to know the history. The book of Acts gives us the background for the book of Galatians. So in chapter 9 and in chapter 15 and in these chapters that I point you back to, write those references down and go read the text because it helps us understand all of the background information. Now, what about Peter taking the role saying it's only in Christ, it's not circumcision, it's, it's not the law. There's a man named Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 who gets a vision. He was a pious man searching for God and he gets a vision to send for Peter. He sends a contingent to Peter. And while this contingent is going to bring Peter from Joppa to this centurion to share, share with him the truth of the gospel, Peter gets a vision. And it's a vision of a sheep filled with all kinds of, of animals, unclean and clean. Again, the ceremonial law, right? A descending from heaven. And God says, Peter, take and eat out of any of these animals in, in, in this vision. And Peter says, I can't do that. So, some of those are forbidden under the law. I, I can't partake of those. In essence, Peter's taught the lesson that Paul was teaching the Galatians, it's not in what you do, it's what he does. You see, these ceremonial food laws were to separate Israel from the rest of God's people. It was never a plan for salvation. It couldn't have saved them. It was to show them that you couldn't keep this whole law, so you're guilty before a holy God. And as he gets this vision, Peter realizes that God now is going to minister, not just to Jews, but to Gentiles with this gospel. What do we read in the book of Galatians? The present is going away, and, and the new has come, and his name is Jesus, and this is his gospel. 
So Paul goes to Cornelius, and he and his whole house get saved. Paul comes back, or Peter comes back to, to report to this council in Acts chapter 15, where Paul is attending, and he gives a clear illustration of the gospel from this Jerusalem council. And as he deals with that gospel, he makes it very clear that it is in Christ alone. The rest of the story is, and Another chapter, Paul's going to say that he had to confront this same apostle Peter because he drifted too. Boy, if Peter can drift, we're in trouble here. That's all the background. Peter gives an impassionate plea that this is in Christ alone, not in the law and not in circumcision. And you don't need that to be righteous before God. That is the glorious gospel. But Paul says that he's astonished that they had left that And he's allowing these people who want to add to the gospel to distort that gospel. Satan, Martin Luther writes, reserves his deadliest venom for the doctrine of grace, for the word of God, and for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Satan is the deceiver. And if he can entice you away from the only gospel, it is a pernicious, venomous gospel that ends in destruction, not eternal life. Martin Luther realized that we need to fight for this doctrine of grace. You did nothing, nothing, nothing. Jesus did everything, everything, everything to the praise of his glory forever and forever and forever. That's how he starts the letter. And that's why the church gathers. Revelation chapter 12. Read that the great dragon, the same venomous Satan, was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And he's thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him, and he's put into this pit, locked away in this place so he could no longer stir his venom and undermine the gospel. What's really interesting eschatologically is just before the return of Christ physically to this earth, Satan is loosed from that imprisonment after a glorious time. And multitudes and multitudes and multitudes buy into his lies. They tasted of the kingdom. They had seen the king. They knew the king. When Satan led his revolt, they followed him. Listen, this is why Paul's astonished. This is why this is a no-nonsense book. We cannot lose the gospel. He pleads And he begs. And it reminds us that a profession of faith is not what saves you. It is the person of Christ that saves you. You say all the right things and do all the wrong things and you're not born again. In Jesus, nothing can separate you from the love of God. 
to share with you one of the most haunting passages in the Sermon on the Mount, at least in my perspective. For Jesus himself says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There is only one gospel, and it is not a gospel of works. It doesn't matter if you cast out demons. It doesn't matter if you prophesy. It doesn't matter what your mighty works might be. Your salvation is in Christ alone. And of course, Satan doesn't want that message going out there. And of course, he's going to take captive the minds of people. And true salvation is not just what you hear and assent to. True salvation changes you entirely, and you go from persecuting to the church to preaching the gospel, and only Christ can do that. That's what Paul's calling them to. He's reminding them, listen, even if we or an angel from heaven, someone of the highest authority should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, even if they came from the right hand of God, even if they came from the presence of the king, let him be accursed. Let him be destructed. Let him be finally judged to eternity. Most literally, Paul says, damn them. To hell with them. There are consequences to preaching a different gospel. Lives, lives are at stake. So hypothetically, he said, even if an angel comes, which they won't, there was one revolt and that was eternity past. <laughs> even if an angel comes from heaven and says, that got it wrong, got it wrong that time, here's the real gospel, and it's different from the one that you had heard, let him be accursed. And then he puts real names, not, not listing them, although he could have, in verse 9. He takes it from some hypothetical situation to clarity. Verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to one you received, let him be accursed. Let me say that again. Let him be accursed. Let, him, let me say that again. Let him be accursed. When some self-appointed nobody contracts or contradicts the eternal God of the ages and his son, Jesus Christ, let them be accursed. Now listen carefully. They would be damned for, to eternity forever, not because they preached the wrong gospel, but because they preach a false gospel that doesn't lead you to Christ. They are damned in their sin because they were never changed. Because it was another gospel. Paul writes this. He is pleading, pleading with the people. There is no other gospel. And he calls an effective invocation. You will be damned to hell for that other gospel. But nobody sins in a vacuum, do they? Not only will you be condemned to hell for believing a false gospel, 
so will all of those who heard and believed that false gospel. That's where we have to get the gospel right. Again, Luther's commentary. The most damnable and pernicious heresy that has plagued the mind of man was the idea that somehow through circumcision, through the law, through all of these add-ons, that somehow man could make himself good enough to deserve to live with an all-holy God. What are you talking about? The gospel cannot be negotiated. But pastor, it's harsh and it's exclusionary. You're saying that there's some people who, who say they believe that really don't believe. Uh, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you what Paul said. And, and he was a spokesperson for God. So if you've got an issue, it's not with Pastor Jim. Yes. If they've added to that gospel, it's no longer the gospel. You, it, it can't be negotiated. It can't be sugar-coated. How, how long before the church understands that we can't make the gospel attractive? It is an offense to those in their sin. They're never going to be attracted to the gospel. Why? Because they must yield their sovereignty to God's sovereignty, and they refuse to do it. Read Romans chapter 1. And if you don't want to read it, come to my Sunday school class and I'll show it to you. It's another gospel. And it's another gospel that doesn't save. It cannot be distorted. Because once you change the good news, it's no longer good news. It's a weight. Like Martin Luther, I look in the mirror and I say... If this is dependent on me, I'm in real trouble today. I'm in big trouble. And if you're honest, you would say the same thing. But if this is dependent on Christ, this is a glorious gospel. <laughs> that he found me. And he rescued me. And he changed me, not for anything that I did, but for everything that he did. It is a glorious gospel. And I am not condemned for that is the gospel in Christ alone that gives me the assurance that no one can pluck me from my Father's hand, and I will be safe and secure for eternity, and someday I will see him. That's a glorious gospel, because it doesn't have anything to do with me, and thank God for that. Oh, wretched man that I am. You see, you learn that the longer you're a Christian. The gospel becomes much more glorious when you understand nothing, 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 and everything, everything, everything. And what happens? It resounds to praise and to glory forever and forever and forever. And that's exactly how Paul starts this letter. And that's why we come here and gather. And that's why we teach the word. And that's why we believe that even in a crazy world, everything's going to be okay. Why? Because Jesus has done it all. The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, speaking to the leaders in the church at Ephesus, as he says farewell, says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Pastor, does that mean I can lose my salvation? Never, never, never. As long as you're trusting in Christ alone. When I stand in the presence of my king, I will not offer a resume. I will become unglued like Isaiah in the presence of glory and holiness, understanding that he did everything, everything, everything. Even so, come Lord Jesus. You know why John wrote that now, don't you? Life was hard sometimes. And there are a cacophony of voices calling us in many different directions. But the truth of the matter is, when you finally see your sin, and you finally realize the death knoll that that brings, when you finally see Christ as who he is, and the only gospel, it changes everything. Thomas Schreiner, in his commentary, says, when we actually see and feel the weight of our sin, our joy and the forgiveness granted us is inexpressible and full of glory. And in my life, God becomes more glorious every single day. When I realized that I did nothing, nothing, nothing. calls but genuine believers in the churches of Galatia to be reminded, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and forever. Amen. If we fail to proclaim that there's only one name by which we can be saved, and that human beings come to God through Jesus alone. We will doubtless give assurance of salvation to people who are headed for final judgment. And there's nothing that can be more unloving than grounding false assurance or granting false assurance to the perishing. God forbid that I ever stand up here and say, as long as you've done this, this, and this, you're okay. wide is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the gate and the gate is none other than Jesus alone and I don't know about you I need to be reminded of that and that is part of our worship why we gather why we sing and why we pray and, and why we hope in the midst of this perverted crooked world why we hope with a confident expectation that this same Jesus who was crucified has been made Lord and Christ and he's coming back again for me for me and for everyone else who have been rescued in Christ alone how much indifference do you have to have towards someone to not tell them that. Pastor, we have to be loving. Tell me one thing more loving than we can do 
than to take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Tell, tell me, what other gift can we offer? Nothing, nothing, nothing. For salvation, through Scripture alone, Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone, for the glory of God alone, 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 to glory be forever and forever, and God's people said, amen. Father, thank you for this good thing that you have done for a wretched man like me. more the years fly by, the deeper ingrained in my heart and mind the fallen sinful nature of man, and even more so my sin. And out of the depths of despair, the word I'm reminded of the glorious good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done, finding me on the road for his glory. May I never fall for the pernicious lies. May my life be changed holistically forever. May I never tire of preaching the only gospel that Jesus did everything, everything, everything except our praise, I ask in Jesus' name, amen.